Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Saturday, August 13th, 2022. It's been 3,087 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014, and 171 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth because the truth matters. Let's start with some assessment of the current status of the war. First, there are numerous reports that the armed forces of the Russian Federation and their proxies are struggling to fill their ranks and replace troops lost in battle. Second, professional mercenaries of PMC Wagner Group are refusing to fight with Russian penal units, calling the soldiers undertrained, undisciplined, and ineffective. Third, Fighting in northeast Donetsk around Siversk is increasing, indicating that Russian military leaders are looking to secure the oblast before mud season or are trying to divert resources from Bakhmut and Solidar. Fourth, there is significant evidence that Ukraine has established fire control along the E-40 highway, the main ground line of communication, G-lock or supply line, south of Izum. Finally, Despite turning Pisky, including a historical monastery of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, to rubble, the First Army Corps remain incapable of capturing the small settlement. Let's get some regional updates. Starting in the Donbass region with the slovyansk bilohorivka berestova Triangle, elements of the Second Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, supported by the Russian Federation Armed Forces, probe Ukrainian defenses east and south of Siversk. Understaffed units and reconnaissance in force attempted to advance into Verknokamyanskia and Ryorivka and were unsuccessful. Russian troops withdrew to previous defensive positions after failed attempts to advance on Ivanodarivka, Vimka, and Vesele. Shifting over to assessment for a moment, neither belligerent has mentioned fighting for or in Bilohorivka, in Donetsk, in the past week. NASA Fire Information for Research Management Systems, or FIRMS, has not shown thermal anomalies in the area which would indicate intense fighting and heavy shelling. Berestova and Bilohorivka were wiped from the map by late June, leaving little to defend. The attempts to advance on Vesele and Vimka indicated that the line of conflict is at least along the T-1302 highway and probably more west. To add to the fog of war, the latest report from the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine stated their positions in Spirna and Berestova were shelled by Russian artillery. We've adjusted the map to move the line of conflict to the T-1302 highway and expanded the area of contested control westward. 
Near Russian-occupied Lyman, Rajhorodok was shelled and Kramatorsk was attacked with rockets fired from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. There will be more information on this in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Exiled Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, Serhii Haidai, has stated multiple times that despite the Russian military of defense's claim on July 4th of securing the entire oblast, two settlements remain under the control of Ukraine. Today, Haidai repeated the claim. In an unrelated video, a battalion commander of the Russian separatist 2nd Army Corps of the LNR complained that his forces are fighting in Donetsk, while areas in Luhansk are not yet under Russian control, saying, quote, People are asking me, why are we in the DPR? Why aren't we fighting for LPR? In the LPR, two settlements are left. I understand as an officer that these questions must be stopped, must be suppressed. But for myself, I can't get these answers either. End quote. There are unconfirmed reports that Russian troops securing Lyman have been drawn down to the bare minimum required to defend the area. The rest of the force is being transferred to Izum to reinforce Russian defensive lines. In our assessment, Haidai has a track record of being reliable, pragmatic, and sometimes pessimistic in his reports. We have not been able to determine which settlements in Luhansk are still under Ukrainian control. With claims from both belligerents that have nothing to gain in supporting each other's statements, we have to accept this is the reality. We had high confidence that Bilohorivka in Luhansk and Zolotorivka were still under Ukrainian control through mid-July. There was evidence by July 20th that Bilohorivka was under Russian control and Ukrainian troops withdrew from western Zolotorivka. We will not publicly speculate on possibilities, but we are confident it is not Bilohorivka and doubt it is Zolotorivka. West and east of the T-1302 highway in Berestova and Bilohorivka, Satellite images show the area resembles the Verdun battlefields of World War I. In our assessment, an area possibly 20 kilometers wide has become a no-man's land because intense shelling aided by drones has left few defensible positions. This would explain why we are seeing reports of fighting as far east as Neherne and as far west as Vesele and Vimka on the same day. There will continue to be sporadic fighting in this region, but we don't anticipate renewed significant combat operations before the fall mud season begins. Fighting for Bakhmut continued, led by private military company or PMC Wagner Group, and supported by terrorist elements of the Imperial Legion of Russia and separatists of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR. The situation in Solidar remains unchanged. Ukrainian positions were hit by artillery and airstrikes. Private telegram channels for PMC Wagner complained about fighting conditions and the quality of replacement mercenaries, who likely went through a two-week training program with the terrorist organization the Imperial Legion of Russia before being sent to the front. Members reported some units had suffered more than 50% losses, rendering them combat-destroyed. There are reliable reports that PMC Wagner is being rotated out of Solidar, and replaced by Russian airborne troops, or VDV. We expect fighting intensity to increase in the next 48 to 72 hours. PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Yakovlivka and tried to capture the western half of Vershina aided by airstrikes, but was unsuccessful. 
LNR separatists with the 2nd Army Corps and PMC Wagner were able to advance into northeastern Bakhmut, reaching the industrial areas. Fighting for control continued. Russian military leaders appear set on attempting to capture Vesela Dolina. After yesterday's failure to advance, artillery and airstrikes hit the settlement. We assess that another advance will be attempted in the next 24 to 48 hours. In the Svetlodarsk bulge, fighting for control of Kodema continued. There is a reliable report that Ukrainian forces withdrew from Zaitseve under cover of darkness, and the settlement is under Russian control. LNR separatists are attacking Dacha from three sides. Our assessment here is the same now as it was on August 9th. You can find that on Tuesday's episode around minute 5 or 6. In southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia, the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, continued its offensive to capture Pisky. Satellite images from this morning confirmed our assessment that Russian artillery had obliterated the village. Fighting continued, but there was no change to territorial control. Due to the failed advance, we assess that Pisky will come under another round of intense shelling in the next 24 to 48 hours. DNR and Ukrainian forces fought positional battles in Avdiivka and Spartak without success. Elements of the 1st Army Corps also attempted to advance on Marinka and were unsuccessful. Russian FSB colonel and wanted war criminal Igor Gherkin-Strelkov couldn't contain his anger at the failing offensive west of Donetsk. On Telegram, he blasted the Kremlin, the Russian State Duma, and the Ministry of Defense. He also questioned if the planned sham referendum to become part of the Russian Federation on September 11th can move forward, saying, quote, Before September 11th, neither the entire territory of the Donetsk People's Republic nor even the capture of Slovyansk will succeed. The question will soon arise, how to keep what is already occupied with the available forces. The failure of the Russian military strategy in Ukraine is obvious. In this regard, I have three suggestions. 1. Shoot the entire Politburo. 2. Repaint the Kremlin in yellow-black color. And 3. Start implementing a proven retreat strategy to Moscow and Stalingrad in order to freeze the adversaries at the outskirts. End quote. In our assessment, Strelkov is personally invested in the failing offensive as the original commanding officer of the DNR 1st Army Corps. Part of the reason the Kremlin removed him from Ukraine in 2014 was due to his poor military leadership. The Kremlin has given him more latitude than any other critic of the war in Ukraine, but in our assessment, his latest screed is likely testing the patience of Moscow. Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Pavlivka, and were unsuccessful. Our assessment for southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia is unchanged from August 12th, which you'll find in yesterday's episode around minute 5. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, there wasn't any significant fighting northwest, north, northeast, or southeast of Kharkiv. Russian and Ukrainian forces traded sporadic artillery, rockets fired from MLRS, and indirect tank fire across the line of conflict. 
A video from the Ukrainian armed forces showed a destroyed Russian artillery position in Borshova. The firebase is well established and further south than we had previously assessed. We have adjusted the map moving Lipsy to Russian controlled and Sloboshanska and Borshova to contested, but this does not represent new territorial gains. Kharkiv City was hit by four S 300 anti aircraft missiles converted for ground to ground use. A university in Slobodivsky district was struck, and an administrative building suffered minor damage in the Kivivsky district. We assessed on August 11th that Russian forces were testing the capabilities of the Ukrainian Territorial Guard who have taken over the defense of Izum, and that was correct. Positional fighting, reconnaissance, and probing for weaknesses will continue to occur. The remaining Russian forces on the Izum axis have moved to a defensive posture. There weren't any attempted advances along the entire front. Russian artillery is attempting to slow the Ukrainian advance, firing artillery along the entire line of conflict from Mospanova to Shepil to Velika Komoshivaka to Bohorodichne. A Russian airstrike hit the settlement of Zaleman. We made two changes to the map in this region after geolocating and weather confirming five videos. Four videos emerged near Lyman Lake. The region is called Sherwood Forest by Russian troops. The nickname is not meant to be a term of endearment. Tangled tree roots of the forested area make bunkers challenging to build. The open trenches and tank scrapes of defensive positions provide little protection from artillery shells and splintering trees. The terrain favors Ukrainian training, tactics, and equipment. Ukrainian Special Operation Forces, or SOF, conduct hit and run raids at night. Russian electronic warfare units tasked with jamming signals from Ukrainian drones were wiped out in late June, making it even harder to maneuver and hide. Units assigned to Sherwood Forest suffer slow attrition that shatters morale until they are rotated out. In June, we reported that the 64th Guards Motor Rifle Brigade, also known as the Butchers of Bucha, suffered a 90% casualty rate after being moved to Izum, with their last six weeks in Sherwood Forest. Two videos showed Russian self-propelled artillery, or SPG, firing in two locations near Lake Lyman. We geolocated one firing position along a forest access road. The same artillery battery with the same commanding officer was filmed at a different location nearby. Both videos showed poor tactics and a lack of understanding of operational security, or OPSEC. The SPGs were clustered together and both videos were easily geolocated. A third video showed a Russian electronic warfare station destroyed by Ukrainian artillery fire. That video was geolocated slightly north of the artillery battery. A fourth video on the banks of Lyman Lake showed a Russian forward operating base, or FOB, being shelled by the Ukrainian 71st Jaeger Brigade. That video was geolocated in a forested patch just west of the lake. Interjecting some assessment here, we had marked this region on our map as an area of uncertainty back in June due to increased SOF activity by Ukrainian forces. These collections of videos from Russian and Ukrainian sources clearly assessed where Russian forces are located. We've updated the line of conflict, moving it further west in Sherwood Forest while maintaining this as a contested area. Additionally, these videos indicate that Ukrainian forces are establishing fire control over the region. 
Although the final video only shows several artillery strikes on the Russian FOB, it is improbable that Russian troops stayed in the location. A fifth video showed the Russian ground line of communication, or GLOC, a.k.a. supply line, in Kamyanka under Ukrainian fire control. The tank destroyed in the video was on the E-40 highway GLOC and just five kilometers south of Izum. Based on this information, we moved the line of conflict further north between Dovenki and Borhodichne. Our map is likely pessimistic about where the line of conflict is, but we will need more evidence to make further adjustments. Our assessment of the region now is the same as it was on August 8th, which you can find on Monday's episode around minute 20. Next, let's get some updates from the Dnipro, Kherson, Mykolaiv, and Zaporizhia regions. In Nova Kohovka, it was confirmed that a HIMARS strike on August 11th destroyed the Kohovsky Bridge over the Dnipro River at the Kohovka Dam. The roadway is impassable, and the railroad bridge is likely irreparable. The strike has cut off all the G-locks across the Dnipro to the western half of the Kherson Oblast. Russian forces can only move personnel and supplies by ferry or helicopter. A propaganda video from Russian state media on August 10th attempted to portray the Ukrainian strike on the bridge as an attempt to destroy the dam. The video revealed that Russian forces are using the hydroelectric plant as a military base. An R-439 MD-2 satellite communications truck and multiple supply trucks were shown destroyed in the rubble in a building near the dam but not attached to the structure. There wasn't any significant fighting along the line of conflict west of the Dnipro River. Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery and rocket fire and launched airstrikes. There are reports that Ukraine has expanded its bridgehead on the east bank of the Inulets River. Despite significant social intelligence and chatter that Ukraine has advanced to Sukistavok, we don't have enough confidence in the data to move the settlement from contested to under Ukrainian control. The Russian Air Force fired a single KH-59M cruise missile at Mykolaiv City. The M variant of the KH-59 is designed as an anti-ship weapon. It can only be fired by the Su-24 fighter plane and isn't particularly accurate against land targets. Ukrainian air defenses shot down a second missile. Mykolaiv's mayor reported no damage or casualties and called the night, quote, quiet. Our assessment here is the same as it was yesterday, August 12th. You'll find it around minute 12 or 13 of that episode. Looking to Dnipropetrovsk, there has been no resolution to the situation at Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Russia continues to use Europe's largest nuclear power station as a firebase and command post. Amnesty International tweeted a condemnation of Russian actions at Zaporizhia, and accused the Russian Federation of shelling the station themselves from Enerhodar, stating, quote, Russia is using a nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia, Ukraine, as an army base. The allegations we are receiving directly from Enerhodar, the town adjacent to the nuclear plant, speak volumes about the terrible impact Russia's militarization is having on civilians. End quote. Reaction to the tweet was swift with many pointing out that Russia's representative at the United Nations Security Council meeting on August the 11th quoted the derided Amnesty International report on Ukrainian war tactics as justification for occupying the power plant and using it as a military base. 
Russian forces at the power plant launched another 40 grad rockets from MLRS on Nikopol. A kindergarten and 20 homes were destroyed. Natural gas and electrical service were also disabled, but there were no casualties. The head of the Dnipropetrovsk Regional Council, Mykola Lukashuk, accused Russian forces of firing cluster munitions on the settlement of Zelenodolsk. No injuries were reported, and we can't confirm the report's veracity. Looking theater-wide and outside of Ukraine, there are claims in pro-Russian circles that the commander of the Black Sea Fleet, Admiral Igor Osipov, was relieved of command after the, quote, accident at Saki Naval Air Base. His replacement is Vice Admiral Viktor Sokolov. This is the second time rumors have flown that Osipov was on the Kremlin chopping block. After the sinking of the Black Sea Fleet flagship Moskva, rumors swirled that Osipov would be relieved of command, but that didn't play out. Satellite images from Maxar of the Zyabrovka airfield in Belarus showed the Russian Air Force had left the base and there was an accident on Wednesday. The claims that a Russian 92N6 fire control and engagement radar was destroyed appear to be true. The system's remains were clearly visible in the picture, and the remnants of at least one armored vehicle that experienced a catastrophic failure. In our assessment, this wasn't a military strike and was likely an accident. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky submitted a draft law to Parliament to extend martial law and the general mobilization of the Ukrainian military. The proposal would extend both measures for 90 days, starting on August 23rd. The Ukrainian government has already extended martial law twice since the first declaration on February 24th. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is minimal graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead about two minutes. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, accused Russian occupying forces of converting a hospital into a military base. A woman was killed in Zolochiv, Kharkiv Oblast, due to a Russian artillery attack. In Kramatorsk, two civilians were killed and 35 wounded in artillery strikes. Mandatory civilian evacuations are ongoing, with local leaders appealing for everyone to leave the Donetsk Oblast. The Security Service of Ukraine identified Chechen citizen Bisayev Onzor Saladievich, commander of the Special Purpose Mobile Unit of the Russian Guard in the Chechen Republic of Akhmat, as the torturer of Ukraine teenagers near Kiev in March. Bisayev is reportedly on the run as a fugitive from justice and is believed to be hiding in a third-party nation. Five missiles struck the city of Zaporizhia, killing one person and knocking out civilian infrastructure. A woman in the Cherniev Oblast was moderately injured when she triggered a mine left behind by Russian forces. The woman was mushroom foraging, despite a prohibition on entering the forests, and hit a tripwire. She was moderately injured from the blast and dragged herself 300 meters to the roadside, where a passing motorist found her. She is expected to survive and keep all her extremities. The use of landmines is not a war crime, and Russia and Ukraine are not signatories of the landmine moratorium. However, belligerents must map landmine locations and provide that information to authorities when withdrawing, or use mines that automatically become inert. Leaving unmapped mines where they can injure civilians is considered a war crime. 
In geopolitical news, the German ambassador to Ukraine, Anke Feldhusen, compared Russian President Vladimir Putin to the infamous German Nazi leader Adolf Hitler, saying, quote, Historical analogies aren't always accurate, and Germany holds a belief that our guilt in the Second World War cannot be surpassed. But, like many other Germans, I think about those parallels every day, and they are undeniable, particularly in terms of Putin's ambition to create an empire of some kind. End quote. A kangaroo in Australia attempted to cause an international incident when it attacked the main gate of the Russian embassy in Sydney. There were no injuries, and the kangaroo was able to hop away before authorities arrived. Steven Seagal appeared on the Russian TV channel Russian One, declaring himself Russian, saying that the nation was now his home. Seagal did not clarify if he had renounced his United States citizenship. In economic news, Standard & Poor's and Fitch downgraded Ukraine's foreign currency rating, calling the nation's finances stressed. S&P dropped Ukraine's rating CCC plus or C from B minus or B, and Fitch downgraded Ukraine's debt from C to RD, which is restrictive default. Russian officials suggested that the media company Instagram could be unblocked in Russia if it changed its policies and formally apologized to all Russian citizens. The ruble declined and was off for the week. The official exchange rate fell to 62 rubles for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices drop today and show strong resistance to breaking the $100 ceiling. WTI fell to $92 a barrel, and Brent dropped to $98 a barrel. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline for spot market delivery rose to $3.05 a gallon, or $0.81 cents a liter. Chicago SRW wheat futures for December 2022 climbed to $0.82 cents a bushel. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.